you're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. It's not always easy farming veggies in an urban setting, but it certainly is nice to have fresh local food available in the community as opposed to having it shipped from far away. Today's guest is Renee Rose, who specialises in some interesting urban gardening and is one of my friends on Twitter, at the underscore green life. G'day, Renee. Welcome to the show. Great day, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Super happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too. This is going to be a great episode. Tell me a little bit about the Big Green Project. What does it, the Monstera Leaf logo represent to you and what do you guys do? Absolutely. So um, the Big Green Project, it began as just that. It was a personal initiative for me to invigorate green thumbs in my community, which is Wilmington, Delaware, here in the States. Um, you know, I'm from a underserved um, sort of urban neighborhood where there isn't much access to fresh produce or much interest in growing your own produce. You know, a lot of people have to go outwards 15 to 20 miles outside of the community for their next, you know, closest farmer's market or things like that. Um, So with the Big Green Project, I really just want to advocate for severe increase of access to fresh locally grown food. But it's also my way of uplifting the relationships between us and the environment, as well as us and our food and getting as many people gardening as possible. So I'm always available for tips or just some advice as far as caretaking caretaking to fellow gardeners, as well as any help with projects or hands-on projects in my community to help with. And I've also been doing monthly offerings with getting food out and meals and essential items to less fortunate in the homeless population here in Wilmington. So you've started the Big Green Project or how did it start? I did start it. So I started it actually locked down. The time of lockdown with COVID was kind of the catalyst for the Big Green Project. And um, it got started in June of this year. So June of 2020, um, I was not working. I was gardening every day. I was spending so much time in my community garden and the garden itself was calling so much attention from people in the community. People would come up all the time asking questions about where the food was going, can they purchase? And, you know, there was so much interest. I started getting the idea, you know, how can I help some of these people? How can I get more food to these people? They clearly want it. They clearly are even willing to pay for it if it was just available to them. And so that was kind of the light bulb in my mind to begin the Big Green Project. Um, My first kind of intentional act to birth the project itself was in August. Um, Actually, on my birthday, I just made about 20, um, 25 or so lunches. They were vegetarian lunches with some essential items like a mask, water, um, and napkins. And I just went around, drove around to some places where I know um, they're homeless people stay in Wilmington. And I just gave those things out. And that was kind of um, an intentional moment for me to birth, to breathe life into the Big Green Project, you know, um, an act of service that had a deliberate intention behind it. Wow, that's really cool. I love that idea of a deliberate intention rather than, you know, accidentally doing something good, just making a really conscious choice to actually make a difference. Exactly, exactly. And it was that it was a very conscious and mindful choice. You know, I see so much 
unfortunate things around me and I don't have a ton of money um, or a ton of resources, but I have enough that I can help. You know, I can do a small part and I only feel right doing that small part. You know, I feel like why not? I think if everyone did a small part, just did what they can using what they have, we could make so much of an impact, you know, together and helping each other. So I just want to do my part, really. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think you're right. Yeah, it's not going to happen unless we do it intentionally, 100%. I saw a tweet of yours once. You were talking about what the Monstera Leaf logo represents to you, and I just thought that was really interesting. Would you mind speaking on that for a second? Absolutely. So I am, and you know, Daniel, I'm sure from from um, our connections on Twitter, I am a plant mama to the fullest. So I adore my house plants and um, my favorite of them all is the Monstera Deliciosa. To me, the Monstera leaf, it represents so much more than just that iconic house plant. It represents a symbiotic relationship for me, you know, so whether someone's a master gardener or, you know, killed every plant they've ever tried to grow or haven't grown anything at all. I feel the monstera leaf is a it's a plant that brings people together. It's a plant that incurs so much interest around gardening and growing and planting, even for people who don't readily know any facts about it. It has an iconic features. <laughs> and so it's it's a statement um, leaf. And I feel that it just represents learning about it, taking care about it, and seeing it unfurl is really just an iconic moment. It's sort of like uh, Tina Turner's like fringe dress or like Michael Jackson's glove. You know, you know, once Michael Jackson's glove comes out, you know, you've been exposed to a magical moment and you know, only magic is sure to follow. And I, I feel similarly about the Monstera leaf, you know, taking care of one, seeing it grow and develop. I feel like uh, it's taught me so much and I've connected with so many people in the gardening community um, over the Monstera Deliciosa plant alone, you know? So it really is, it, it's an iconic plant to me and it really represents a symbiotic relationship between myself and, and the rest of the gardening community. I think you said in the tweet, uh, you know you're around good plant people when you see that Monstera leaf. Exactly. You are in the company of green thumbs. Monstera leaf is around. <laughs> you know, you, you're your tribe, you know, exactly. And, um, and I've always encountered that, you know, where, where the monstera leaf goes, green thumbs are sure to follow and vice versa. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like a, like you said, it's that, it's that logo to the community for me and so readily recognizable, you know, throughout whether the most experienced gardeners or least experienced. And you do a little bit of work as well in gardens around hospitals. So you, I've seen a few of your tweets talking about, you know, the importance of um, organic food. And one of the criticisms that I've heard about the health system, at least over here, is that generally there could be more emphasis placed on nutrition. The hospital you're working with actually already recognises this because they're letting you or paying you to grow some organic food for fresh food for their patients. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. Um, I believe this is really important work. Um, so I work for St. Francis Hospital. They have a weekly produce program where they distribute produce grown directly on their grounds to their patients who suffer from conditions like diabetes, high cholesterol, basically conditions that can be affected by nutrition um, or lack thereof of good nutrition. And so I'm the caretaker for their garden there. It is an, an amazing program, and from what I've found so far, it's the only one of its kind in the state of Delaware. And I think a lot more um, medical institutions can learn from the, the blueprint of this program. The rumors that you've heard there are definitely, you know, true. Unfortunately, you know, depending on your zip code, um, the economics or the politics could very well be prioritized before public health and safety, which is unfortunate, especially with the medical industry in America having such a telling history of disregard and kind of experimentation regarding poor communities, um, people of color and black men and women. Um, we can look at the Tuskegee experiments or the father of gynecology and, and his methods to his findings. So, you know, along with kind of that lack of focus in the general theme of kind of hospitals, there is kind of an underlying theme amongst people, even in 2020, where it's just kind of like a don't trust the hospital um, vibe in a community. So what what I love about what St. Francis is doing is that they're really bridging that gap and connecting back into their patients and increasing that access and making sure that these people who are directly affected by nutrition, making sure that they get what they need instead of just writing them off on prescriptions, you know, and things like that. So um, they've taken a big progressive step to counter this perception by introducing the produce program and recognize an opportunity, you know, to provide the fresh food directly to their patients. And it's amazing. I think it's amazing for sure. Can you tell me a little bit about how it started? Like, did they approach you or did you approach them? And how is it being received? So it's actually really interesting. They have had this program for two years now. I've just came on in 2020, so this is my first year with the produce program with the hospital. The previous woman who was in charge, her position was actually furloughed. So then they needed to fill the position. And a good friend of mine, who is also um, currently a resident at the hospital, he knows of my work, you know, all of my earthwork and my passion and love for gardening. So he referred me um, and, you know, one of their coordinators reached out. He gave them my information. They reached out to me and we met, I believe, the, the following day after they reached out to me. We met the following day over at the garden and we discussed. We probably talked for about an hour, 45 minutes. And, you know, and I was ready to come to work the next day. <laughs> you know, once they, once they explained the program to me and let me know what they needed, which was just a caretaker for their bed, you know, for the garden beds. I was all in. I was super happy to be involved and and I was super appreciative that my friend referred me, you know, because he knows how passionate I am. So it was very, very nice to do that. So that's how I myself became involved with the program. And it's been running now for two years. So it's going very well. Um, it's received and to mention to answer your question of how the program is received um, from patients, it's received with so, so much excitement. They're very happy about it. They're actually very surprised about it because it's not something that's normal to them. It's very foreign that a hospital would offer them fresh produce and things. Um, 
But once they find out, they're so willing to sign up and they're very they have a lot of inquiry as far as how long the season's running, how often can they get this produce, how what variety of produce. So we get a lot of inquiry from the patients. Um, surprisingly enough, though. So I speak to doctors about the program, ask their thoughts. Many of them are ecstatic. They're excited. They've got that they have alternate options to help besides the prescription pad. However, I've met a lot of doctors who were surprised that the program even exists because they were never told of it from their bosses. It's interesting because the doctors are the ones who sign the patients up for the program. So it's really ironic that all of them haven't been informed that it's there. So currently, what I'm working on majorly in the program is just growing awareness of the program itself within the actual hospital, between the doctors, between the physicians, the nurses and secretaries, because they are all key pieces. And without them, the program just doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, just raising awareness between the doctors is, you know, where I'm working at most now. Hmm. That's very interesting. So that's funny. You would have thought. That'd become a knowledge, uh, you know, organic fresh food is going to be healthy for you and going to build a healthy body. Big surprise. Right. <laughs> right. You would think that all of the doctors would be inf- armed with this information at the ready to give to all of their patients. But it's probably about 50-50, you know, 50% mm. of the physicians and doctors that I talk to who know about it, they're excited. They refer their patients. But that other 50%, they have mm. no clue. They're like, we have a produce program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because like, you've actually got the garden on site as well. Is that right, or is the garden separate? So it is a it's a block away from the hospital. So it is less than you know less than thirty seconds away from the hospital, and it's a very large space. It is still a community space as well. So it is in a community garden, which has over 30 something beds, but the garden, I mean, the hospital currently occupies um, just one bed this season. Awesome. And tell me a little bit about some of the other spaces that you like to manage or that you are managing. Absolutely. So along with the caretaking for the hospital, I am the facilitator of the downtown community garden. It is a community garden we have downtown Wilmington, and it is just a a lovely community space. There are great green thumbs involved in there. We have recently partnered with a organization called Ecoplastics of Delaware, who makes raised garden beds out of all recycled materials. So we have recently got an order of 22 new, brand new garden beds that are made out of completely recycled material, 100% recycled plastic. And they are, um, they look beautiful. They are incredibly sturdy. Um, so right now we are installing them at the community garden, getting ready for overwintering. I am also the farm manager for an urban farm called Conscious Connections Incorporated. It is in the north side of Wilmington, Delaware. Um, It is more in an underserved community, more in an urban neighborhood. We work under just an acre of land. We have three sites where we grow a variety of greens. We have a 20-bed herb garden, as well as two hoop houses where we do all year round pepper production because we do make products like hot sauce and jams, seasonal jams and things like that. At Conscious Connections, the urban farm, our mantra is education plus, expo- plus exposure equals economic opportunity. 
Um, and so we really focus on community engagement and youth education. Um, we have a couple of youth employees that work on the farm Monday through Friday. Um, we work with their school schedule so that they are able to maintain in school. They have to keep a certain grade average as well. And we maintain their hours throughout the season. But it is a beautiful space, especially to be where it is at. Um, it kind of looks like a Garden of Eden, you know, in in a, in a concrete jungle, a beautiful space right in the neighborhood I was born in. So um, I love being there. Um, Mr. Matthew is the person, uh, Matthew Williams. He is the CEO and executive director of Conscious Connections. He has been working on the urban farm since 2010 all by himself. So he's done a great job building the space. And now I am on to just help him expand and grow. Yeah, so that's um, a pretty cool example of how people living in urban environments can actually get access to, you know, gardening and stuff like that, which is so good for your mental health, as both of us know. Tell us a little bit about how important that is for people in concrete jungles to have access to some of that plant activity. It's so important. For me, uh, you know, as a young woman born here, Wilmington, Delaware, in the U.S., it's a small city. You know, we're not very big at all. Um but you kind of have to go outside of your way. I, I think the closest farmer's market to me is at least 15 miles, you know. So some things you really have to go out of your way for. And I think the best way for people in urban environments to increase their access to locally for to fresh grown food other than growing your own is really to support one another. If there is one person who has, you know, a small lawn garden, those people should be supported. Um, barter with your neighbors. You know, I may grow cucumbers and you may have, I don't know, let's say you make your own hot sauce. You know, we can trade cucumbers for hot sauce or we can barter, you know, greens for vinegar. I don't know, but I'm just, I'm using these random things, odds and ends as example for when you have less, you have to work with what you do have. And the best way sometimes to compensate for things that you don't have or to barter with the people around you. You may have something that your neighbor needs and your neighbor may have something that you need. So work with each other. And having that sense of community, having each other to lean on will help in the, those um, most trying times. You know, I'm, I'm from a neighborhood where that's how we grew up, you know, um, all of my neighbors when I was younger, if the children were playing outside, all of the neighbors were looking out for all of the children. You know, you couldn't get one thing past one of our neighbors because they were going to let our parents know, you know. And so you truly did have to you had to look out for one another because, you know, the elders are looking out for you. So you make better choices also when you're connected to your community and support each other. So I think it's really important that people in urban environments work together and support each other, whether it's comes to gardening, you know, helping along with, you know, each other's children or different things like that, even local policy. And look, you mentioned that you're in Delaware. A lot of Aussies may not know this, but in the US, you guys sort of divide yourself into different growing zones based on where you're located and how much sunlight you're sort of getting, you know, how close you are to the equator. What growing zone are you in? And can you please tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so wait, so you guys do not use hardness zones in Australia at all? I think that some were drawn up based on you guys as one, but it's not something that we talk about all the time. I, I don't hear a lot of Aussies talking about the growing zones. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm. I knew. 
So I remember yeah. when I found out I was really interested. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. Like, well, like, what are these? What's this chart over the country, over their country? Mm-hmm. There? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I am in Delaware. I'm on the East Coast um, in the States. So I am in Hardiness Zone 7A. This means that once September hits, so around this time of year, um, our temperatures it drops swiftly and the days become a lot shorter. In August, the sun could set around 9 p.m., but you know, once mid-September hits, sunset is at 6 and the evenings are much, much cooler along with the mornings. So our life cycles of our summer crops, like our tomatoes, melons, those really sun-loving crops, they're all reaching their end around this time of year. Um, and unless growing indoors, it's really difficult to extend the growing season outdoors because of the zone we are in. Um, we have shorter daylight hours, so less sunlight and cooler temperatures in our in my zone in particular. But it isn't a bad zone to be in, actually, because a large variety of crops still really thrives well. It just requires um, a bit more tact and timing regarding the plantings, because unlike warmer zones, we've got to account for the date of first frost and the hours of sunlight that a crop needs once germinated compared to the daylight we'll actually get. So um, more planning, a little less spontaneous gardening can be a result. Unless you just really like surprises, then you still just go for it. But <laughs> but it's not it's not a, a very difficult thing to to work with as a gardener. Um, it is basically a guideline, you know, just to kind of help with your planting, your seasonal plantings, really. I'm not sure if it's quite as easy over here. We have some very different environments. I mean, that's just the climate. We're not even taking into account soil or anything. It's just the climate. It does not account for soil. It doesn't even really account for environmental factors like, you know, um, smog or radiation or oxygen content or things like that. It really is accounts for the date of first frost, for the amount of sunlight hours and temperature. All right, let's switch it up a little bit now and let's talk about weeds. How do you like to deal with weeds? Do you have a least favorite weed? Do you have favorite weeds? You know, I really love to talk about weeds. You, they they give this kind of air of annoyance. <laughs> yeah. I like to trigger my followers on Twitter with weeds sometimes. <laughs> Very triggering they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, get up, get under people's skin just like they get up under everything else. <laughs> but um, I actually I really have um changed my perception um on weeds in the in my more recent years as a gardener. I can say, you know, previously thinking of weeds, you know, as something that's an inconvenience, you know, it's a never ending story, you know, plants that I once looked at as something to be plucked or pulled. Now I I really see as it's the language of the earth that I'm learning. You know, I've spoken with herbalists who they will say that what grows in an area, it grows there for a reason. Um, So if any weed is growing up, growing in the soil in a particular environment, it's growing there with a purpose. So I really have um, taken that and and applied it to to my growing. And I don't look at weeds as something that I'm constantly needing to fight against anymore. Um, Many of the plants that we do consider weeds have medicinal and culinary value anyway. Um, So I've I've really just changed my stance from constantly fighting them to to respecting and working with them. 
my favorites. I do have some favorites. Um, burdock root and chickweed, which grow like crazy in my area, are two of my favorites. They make a really great tea. Um, chickweed also helps um, for female health, for female um, reproductive system health. Chickweed is a really good herb for that. So I do like burdock root and chickweed a lot. I've recently begun adding purslane to my salads, which was suggested to me by some awesome green thumbs on Twitter. So thank you to y'all um, because I have tons of purslane that grows around me as well. So I've recently begun forcing that and adding it to some salads of mine. This has been really good. They have that really nice sour taste. They do. They do. And it's a really nice crunch. I like the, I like the crunch. Mm, same. Chickweed's really mellow. I love chickweed. It's just so easy to eat. It's almost like more hydrating than water in a way. It's so hydrating, right? I found that also, and it is very mild, you know, like, in, and I love that it can be paired in. I'm, more than likely, I'm comboing it in a tea blend with some other things. So it's really mild. I can kind of add it in some different custom blends. I do have a couple of methods of maintenance, though, you know, even though I don't want to fight the weeds all the time, they do have to be maintained in some areas. And um, mulching has to be probably my favorite way to keep weeds to a minimum because it improve it while keeping them to a minimum, it improves the soil's water retention. And I think it's just less violent than ripping at the earth and constantly, you know, uh, uprooting and tilling over the soil. And it looks really nice too. So mulching is probably my favorite my favorite method to to take care of weeds. Yep, good advice. I think that's um, pretty good advice. That's certainly what I would say as well. The um, mulch is just going to help smother out those weeds. That's what happens in nature too. You know, underneath a big pine tree, you'll see all the pine needles underneath the tree and nothing's growing under there because that's just a natural layer of mulch. Exactly. And as long as the sun's blocked from reaching those, reaching those weeds' leaves, they can't photosynthesize, so they can't grow anymore. So... I think mulching is just, it saves you a little bit of hard labor too. You know, when you're on your hands and knees, <laughs> pulling up, pulling at the weeds, it can be a little physically taxing. It's one of the most hated jobs by gardeners for a reason, I think. It is hard work, pulling them out by hand. And it, it also, you said the mulch, so that's actually going to help improve the soil quality as well. It's going to stop that um, water sort of evaporating. What are some of the other ways you improve soil health and how do you fertilize your plants? So I use a organic fertilizer um, for my house plants. I use an organic fertilizer that I bought at my local garden center. I'm not sure of the brand right now. I want to say it's Expert Gardener, actually. Expert Gardener is the brand. It's an organic um, powder fertilizer that I just sprinkle on the base. For our, our the urban farm and the community gardens, compost. Compost is our, our fertilizer. Compost is our... Is our Herald Angel, you know, Hark our Herald Angel. We love our compost. <laughs> and um, compost is how we, you know, how we amend, how we fertilize our soil, how we add nutrients, you know. Compost, definitely number one for me, for sure. And it's all organic. It's a way for me to reduce waste, which I, I really do not like to waste food or add too much waste to my garbage. So I love being able to compost my food scraps and, and, leaf litter and grass clippings and just have that organic matter just break back down into the soil and feed the, you know, feed the plants over time. Yep. It's called black gold for a reason, isn't it? Isn't it? Exactly. You know, some gardeners, they'll say, you know, the soil, 
the the most important thing is the soil you know the soil is everything yeah feed the soil and the soil feeds the plants is a saying that i've heard and the soil feeds mm. the plants. yes i love it exactly so it's important it is very important what changes have you noticed if any in your community in regards to gardening and farming recently some changes that have that's a good question that's a good question Overall, I've, I've noticed more just general interest in gardening in general, you know, from from the public. But I've noticed people getting really creative. I've seen people grow things in cardboard boxes. I've seen people reuse an old dresser drawer and grow things. You know, myself, I've previously grown potatoes in a laundry basket. I love how creative people are getting with growing their own food, you know. Um, this also, I guess, speaks to um, earlier when you mentioned, when you asked about people in an urban environment, what can they do to increase their access and to grow their own food. Um, and getting creative really is empowering, you know. Container gardening, there's so many things that can be grown in containers. And I've seen people grow avocado trees or even grow, you know, melons on their balcony in containers, tomato plants on their balconies in containers, um, you know, people growing produce at home in containers. So it doesn't have to stop you because you don't have a lawn or because you don't have a yard. You know, you can grow your own food just as well as the next gardener um, and you can get as creative and, and have as much fun as you want. So I love the I love the creativity that I've been seeing from people and, and it's inspiring, you know, you get new ideas and it's like, oh, I wanna I wanna try that next. I saw, you know, even different propagation, seeing people all the different containers and bottles people propagate plants in. It's like, ooh, I wanna try that. You know, so I love the creativity. Same. I recently saw a video from Epic Gardening, one of my favorite sort of gardening online resources, and he was talking about to propagate pothos, you cut them off to one node just so they have one leaf, basically no stem at all, and you put them in the water. And um, I'd never realized that that's the best way to propagate them, so I've been wasting my time trying to do, you know, multiple nodes at a time when I could be having so many more plants just by doing it a little bit differently. What are some of your favorite lessons that gardening has taught you, and how has your relationship with food been affected by your gardening experience? My relationship with food has definitely changed. My relationship with food has improved a lot um, since gardening. I've been gardening myself for about seven years now. And before then, I, you know, was in school for environmental science. After school, I went to Wesley College. After school, I, you know, came home and I, I just worked. I worked. I didn't really spend a lot of time having fun. Um, I didn't really spend too much time taking very much care of myself in terms of wellness. You know, I wasn't always mindful of the things that I did eat or I didn't always eat with intention. But gardening has really, really taught me that one of the last few powers that I, I that I feel we have as human beings are our choices of what we eat, you know, what we choose to put into our mouths. And so um, gardening has really just re reassured and empowered me, you know, that I it's, it's on me. My health really is on me and my choices will directly affect my health in the long term. So I can let desire and pleasure and just kind of lack of mindfulness win now. I can let that lead my life now and I can suffer the consequences of it later or I can be more mindful of what I'm putting into my body 
especially when I'm growing things that are, are of great quality and of great value to my body. I want to, I choose the things that I grow now, basically. Whereas before I didn't choose the things, I didn't choose those things because I wasn't around them. I wasn't growing them. Now I choose the things that I grow. So I eat a lot fresher. I eat a lot more fruits and veggies, a large, more, a much larger variety, excuse me, I'm scrambling. But um, it's, it's definitely improved my relationship with food in a way where I choose what I grow now. So you just feel a lot more connected. Very much so. That's exactly what it is. Being connected back into the soil, back into the produce, taking care of it. When you see something, when you planted a seed and you saw that seed grow, you know, from under the soil to a beautiful lush head of spinach or, you know, head of lettuce or some spinach, you want to enjoy it. That makes me feel good, you know, that I took care of this plant into health and now here it is ready to to pour back into me you know it's, it goes back into that symbiotic relationship and um i'm always thinking of that i'm always considering that relationship you know wanting to give as well as um i, I don't want to take 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 mm-hmm. i want to give mm-hmm. as well so it's yeah. definitely made me more more conscious of of my the effects that my choices have on my environment on the soil and even the um, insects, you know, the, the pests and the creatures that get into our gardens. You know, I know we all can have a fuss about squirrels or deer and or cats or those things, you know, we consider pests. But they all play a part. You know, they all play a part, a role in our gardens, too. And I've, I've come to even respect, even respect the cats that, you know, come around and they they get into some stuff. They leave their droppings. But, you know. One thing about animals, they don't take any more than they need. You know, when the cats do come get into the garden, if they do eat on some things, they eat what they need and then they move on. You know, they're not destroying everything. So I'm not at a loss, you know. Yeah, that's great. So just working with working with. Yeah. Yeah. Working with nature. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what my my relationship toward food and the environment overall has really grown to more of a working with relationship instead of always, always fighting against. So shoes on or shoes off in the garden? (laughs) Without a doubt, absolutely. Shoes off. Shoes off. To To stay connected and to stay grounded Get that dirt in between your toes. Wiggle your toes onto the soil. (laughs) I understand if maybe you're walking on mulch and sticks. It might be a little hard. Maybe get across the harder big sticks. But when you get to some soft grass or just some barren soil, shoes off, man. Shoes off. Shoes off. 100%. I'm in the shoes off camp when you can. I mean, for my day job, I garden for commercial and domestic customers. I mean, look, you really have to keep your safety boots on, um, on a job like that, especially when you're doing push mowing or hedging or something. But yeah, every time I can, I try and take them off, you know, especially if I'm just gardening for a friend. Like I, you know, if if I'm on a site where it's appropriate to take my shoes off, that's when I'll take them off. But I I don't want to give my listeners the idea that you can just take your shoes off on a work site because that's not really usually going to be okay. Is there something else that you're passionate about? Like what's the last thing you want to leave our listeners with and that you just really feel like they should know about? I'd like the listeners to know that it's okay to grow on your own terms. 
I think it's really beautiful that so many people are finding peace in this tumultuous time of 2020's um, unpredictability and uh, through the COVID-19 pandemic, through gardening and the gardening and farming community. It's important to support one another here and there really is amazing energy amongst people who grow. Something that I am really passionate about is really uplifting fellow green thumbs, you know? There's so much space in this world for all of us. There's no need to compete for who's, you know, whose garden is greener. <laughs> I really feel that comparison is the biggest way to defeat yourself and everybody should really grow on their own terms. Grow what you can with what you have um, and don't compare yourself to others because you're doing something amazing with what you can. You know, somebody else is doing something amazing with what they can, but we're both needed. We're both essential um, and we both can make an important impact. So, yeah, I really hope people just under, just always grow on their own terms. I'm extremely passionate about the ocean. That's something that I can share personally. <laughs> um, just its mystery and beauty with the power of water is really inspiring to me. And um, the damage done in the ocean saddens me in a deep way. So um, we're all being affected by waste and climate change, you know, from the island of plastic off of the California coast to the damage done to the Great Barrier Reef, you know, in your region. We've caused a lot of pain to the mother of us all, the earth. And I'm grateful to be a child of this planet and I stand for peace, autonomy, sustainability, and eco-friendly cultivation of this beautiful land. You know, I, I only ask that, you know, everyone helps me plant a seed. Everyone does their part. Help me plant a seed. I love that. It's okay to grow on your own terms. Speaking about marine ecology, you should definitely check out the episode that I've recorded with Andrew Christie. He's president of Marine Care at Point Cook here in, in Victoria. And um, that was a really interesting episode. He sort of talks about some of the damage done. I also just wanted to mention that there actually is an inquiry into some of the claims made about the Great Barrier Reef damage. So yeah, I definitely do recommend our listeners to do a little bit of research. And I'll have a couple of links in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Renee. That was just such a great episode. I hope our listeners have learned a lot about urban gardening, living in an urban environment. So it's all really, really good stuff. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. This was awesome. I've totally enjoyed talking to you this evening. Well, morning on your time, evening on mine, but <laughs> I've totally enjoyed it's nice to have this discord, you know, we, we connect on Twitter and you see some, you know, you see some resonating ramblings from a fellow <laughs> green thumb, but it's nice to be able to, it's nice to have a real discourse, you know, and really get to kind of dig into some of these topics. So this was, this was super cool. And I'm, I'm super honored to have been a part. Thank you again. It's appropriate that we should give a little bit of a disclaimer about edible weeds here. Unless you've had some pretty decent training in how to identify edible weeds, you might just want to stick to picking up fruit and veg from your local grocers. There are some non-edible lookalikes out there. For example, the scarlet primrose, which looks a whole lot like chickweed until it flowers. As always, check the show notes for some interesting links, including both the Big Green and the Plants Grow Here Twitter pages. Let us know your philosophy when it comes to wearing shoes in the garden.